in the church world. But like I said, book of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is the scripture we're going to be reading. If you want to read along with us, it's there. It's also up on the screen. Um, but we're going to be talking about lessons at the gate this morning. Lessons at the gate. And we'll talk about what those lessons are here in just a moment, what we can learn um, from this, the, these few verses here in the third chapter of the book of Acts. But it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to, about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on them, with John, Peter said, upon him, John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, so he jumping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that, th- that it was he who was begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they, and they are, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had, what he, had happened to him. Acts chapter 3 Verses 1 through 10. Amen. I want to talk this morning and start out with what what he came for. Amen. What he came for. We don't know this man. We don't know very much about him. We get a few little details about him. We're going to read one in another second here in uh, um, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 22. We don't get much about his history, his story, who he is. We know that he was brought here since the day he was born. And we see, and we see that here, right? It says, And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. But the Bible tells us that this man, he came to the gate, and he entered into this place multiple times for all of his life. We understand in Acts chapter 4, verse verse 22, that he was 40-some years old, all right? I'm not 40 yet. I turned 30 this year, so hopefully, you know, I can get to 40 and that time comes and everything. Some of you lived 40 years. Some of you lived a lot longer than 40 years. But this man, he came and he was born with, with this, this lame disease, right? He couldn't walk. He couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. And in that time and in that age in history, that means that he didn't have access to a lot of things. He didn't have a lot of great things going on for him. He didn't have the things that he needed in life. Nobody there was really to take care of him. His family kind of did what they had to to get him by from day to day. The government, the Romans didn't care. The Jews really didn't care. He was just there. He was just there for no other reason because he was just there, right? We understand. We don't know at what point during his life he was taken to the gate, at what point they started doing that, if he was 10 or 15 or 20. But I would dare to guess that at least for 20-some years, this man had been taken to this gate again and again and again, day in and day out, taken to this gate, right? So we understand he's 40-some years old. He's lived a pretty good long life and everything, probably longer than most would expect for him be able to live with the things that he was dealing with at that time. Here he is all this life, all this time, he's taken to this beautiful gate, this wonderful gate, this lovely gate, again and again and again, as people go in and out of the temple, right? And this is the man that we meet here in this chapter, that Peter and John meet here when they go into the temple. They meet this man that had been lame since his, since his, since his mother's womb, right? Since he was born, this is the man that they met. Now, if you've known anybody that has dealt with some kind of significant or long-term illness or disease or something like that, we, we understand that a lot of times when we first get sick, all of us, we get a cold, we get something, we get the flu, something goes on, we are ready to be healed. We're ready to get better, we're ready to get past that, we're ready to get over that, right? But the longer the sickness carries, 
the longer that it goes on, our mindset shifts from getting over it to just surviving through it, right? Our mindset shifts from getting past what we're going through and just to, I'm just going to try to get to the next day. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to try to get past it. That is the mindset and the mentality that we meet this man in in Acts chapter 3. He had been there for over 20 years, no doubt, but just hoping that somebody come by, give him alms, give him things, and maybe at the first part of it. Maybe when he was young, maybe when they first started bringing him, he was like, maybe somebody will come along and somebody will do something. Maybe somebody will come along, one of these Sadducees, one of these Pharisees, one of these people in the temple will come along and lay hands on me and something will change. Something good will happen, something great will happen. But it got to the point that here in his 40-something-year-old, he's thinking, I just need a little bread. And I just need a little money. And I just need a little of this. Not expecting much of anything, just trying to get enough to get by, to get through it, to get past the next day, to get over whatever hump he was in. He wasn't expecting anything great anymore. How do we know that, though? How do we know that, though? I want to, as we read, this, the gate. He was late at the gate. I just couldn't get past it as I've studied this week. The gate. Why is this gate so important? Why couldn't they just have said, well, they just came upon him as they were going to the temple? Or they just happened upon him one day? Or they just walked across this man? A lot of times Jesus had just said that he came across somebody. Why is it important that he was at this gate? There are three reasons we can look at the gate and understand why it speaks to the mentality of this man. The first one is in Matthew chapter 21, verse 14. It says, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I want you to understand the construction of the temple. You had the temple in the inner court, and then you had all around it this this great kind of perimeter wall that had all these massive gates through it. And we understand he said at the beautiful gate, which is also called the Corinthian gate, all right? It was made out of this metal that came from Corinth that was wealthy, that was that people wanted, they desired this metal. So here he was sitting at this gate, this high gate, this fancy gate, this beautiful gate. But the thing was, it wasn't too hard to go from outside the gate to inside the gate. From outside the gate to inside the gate. Now understand this. In Matthew 21, this is when Jesus has his triumphant entry. He goes into the temple one last time. And he begins to heal what the Bible says, the blind and the lame. This is during this man's lifetime. There was one temple in Jerusalem. Don't let it be confused that maybe Jesus was somewhere else. Or maybe the man wasn't alive yet. Or maybe the man hadn't got there yet. We understand he had sat here for years In years, this was the very temple that he was sitting at, and he was on the outside of the gate while Jesus was on the inside healing blind and the lame, the very thing that he struggled with. Yet he decided to sit outside the gate. Outside the gate. What that says to us about his focus, his focus wasn't on at that point. He had given up hope on God moving in his life. He had given up hope on something changing in his situation. He'd given up hope on God moving in a great and a mighty way. All he was concerned about was the second thing we understand, that it says that a certain man came to and he was laid out the gate to ask alms from those who entered the, gate, entered the temple. What does it not say? It doesn't say he came to the gate to find Jesus. It doesn't say he came to the gate to find healing. It doesn't say he came to the gate to find deliverance. It doesn't say any of that. He had got to the point where all he wanted was whatever little bit he could get of alms or money and food just to get to the next day. 
his mindset had got to the point where he had given up hope on God moving in his situation, God working. He didn't expect it anymore. He didn't hope for it anymore. He didn't dream of it anymore. He didn't care anymore. He said, just give me a little bread. Give me a little money. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to get better. God's never going to move. God's never going to work. Nothing's going to change. And this is the mindset that we find this man in, right? He chooses to sit outside the temple. Even when God, you know... This, man, this wasn't just like he was the only one who had the position to be able to sit at this gate. These gates were surrounded by people that were lame and that were blind and had sicknesses, crying out for people to give money, right? At this time and age, we understand the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? The religious elite. They were coming to the gates and they liked to be seen when they did good works. They liked people to honor them. They liked people to glorify them. So they would make a big show of going through the nicest gates and giving money to the poor, to the lame, to the broke, to those that need it, right? So this man knew his position. He knew he was there. So no doubt there was a bunch of those that he, had, he was working with, he was there with, that were seeking these alms. But no doubt, understand, Jesus was healing blind and the lame in the temple that day. And no doubt he saw friends of his that, he, that were carried there with him that morning, that he had sat with for years at, at that gate, and that he saw them go in, somebody came in, and then he saw them walking out. But he decides to sit outside the gate. He could have said, hey, buddy, won't you just, will you drive me in? Will you get me into the presence of the Lord? Will you get me closer to the Lord? Will you help me get to that place? He could have went the next day or any day after that, hoping that Jesus would come back. Yet he still decided to sit outside the temple and stay outside the gate. Because he had given up hope that God would work. He didn't expect for God to do anything. What we also can look at is in John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. This man decided to sit outside the temple gate. But what we understand from Scripture is in the very city he lived in, there was called the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda was a place of healing. Scripture tells us that now they're in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. This man is within a few miles, at most, of a healing pool that an angel would come and trouble the water where he could have been the first one in. We've seen Jesus do a miracle later on in these few verses of healing somebody that had waited there. He could have decided to stay there if his mindset was to be healed, if his mindset was to experience the moving of God, if his desire was to be touched by God. He could have established a place there But he said, I want to go have them take me to the gate and collect alms. And collect a little bit to get me through the day because I don't expect anything better in my life. Anything better to happen. I've given up hope on God doing anything in my life. I might have had that hope when I was younger, but I was a fool for having that hope. I might have thought God would do something when I was younger, but I realize now He doesn't work that way. Now, I might have thought God could have moved and could have helped and could have changed something at another time in my life, but the world has shown me and revealed to me and the church people have shown me and revealed to me that God just don't work that way. I'm just going to try to get by. That's the man we meet in Acts chapter 3. That's the man 
that Peter and John walk up to as they go into the temple is a man who had given up hope and just said, I'm just going to get by until I can't get by. I'm just going to get what I can until there's no more getting. I'm just going to do whatever is possible, the little bit that I can, until the end comes, until I die, until I'm done with me, until nobody will carry me, until I have no more hope, until I have no more life to live. I'm going to do that. Let me ask you this. What did you come for today? Very clear what he came for. You can try to paint that in a glossier and a nicer picture, but Scripture tells us in multiple ways. shows that his, his mindset was to come get alms. If he would have wanted healing, Jesus was right inside the temple. He was outside of the gate. If he wanted healing, if he wanted to see God move, there was a pool within a couple of miles that his friends could have carried him to instead of to the gate. It was very clear that his mindset was nothing's ever going to change. It was very clear that his mindset was nothing's ever going to get better. It was very clear that his thought process was this is how things are going to be and they're always going to be this way and there's not a better way and there's not a better hope and there's not a better future. There's nothing out there for me. I have no expectation of God moving. That is why he came. Because he just wanted the arms. But why did you come today? What did you come for today? Are there prayers you stopped praying? Not because God said no. It made it clear that's not what he wanted. But because you've just given up on them? Are you just showing up to to show up? Because you believe it's just the right thing to do, but there's no no joy in it for you. Did you used to have a a fire for the Lord? To do things of God, but now that's just a fool's errand for you. Did, did, you, did you used to seek after the presence of God and, and yearn for Him to move in your life and the lives of those around you, but now it just seems like that's just a, a pop dream. It just can't be accomplished. Why did you come today? What are you here for today? Because the man showed up at the temple not looking for God, not looking to worship Him, not looking to experience Him, not looking to feel His presence, not looking to be changed, not looking to be be revitalized or renewed or rejuvenated or or revived in any way. He just came seeking alms. Why are you here today? What did you seek for when you got up this morning? When you came into this place in the presence of the Lord, what were you expecting? What were you looking for? He didn't think His prayers would be answered. He wasn't thinking anything was going to happen today. Is that the way you approached today? Is that the way you approach every day? Is that the way you approach every prayer you pray? And every time you read the Bible? And every time you testify? And every time you talk to anybody about God? Is that what you expect? Is that where you are today? Why did you come today? This man came for all the wrong reasons. That's the truth. He went to the place of religious authority and power and had no hope or no expectation to experience the move of God. And the sad thing is, is that a world over, we have people coming into churches, going into places of worship, hearing the, listening to the preached word of God on TV, on, on the radio, on YouTube, on podcasts, doing all these things, and never expect to see God do anything. 
pray prayers and pray prayers and read the Bible, but never really expect to see and experience God move. We have people that will proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, say I'm a Christian, say I'm saved, but if you ask them if they thought God could do something, their answer would be probably not, if they were honest. Why did you come today? Why did you come today? Now I get it. Come for different reasons. You were joked about in Sunday school, and and it's the same way with me that, you know, growing up, we were drugged to church, right? Had to be. Whatever. Worked out pretty good, I guess, for me and you. I hope people would say. Um, Probably better for you than me. Um, But. As adults, when we, you know, as we have that ability, right? And even as teenagers, when we're wrestling with those things, we have to have an understanding that there is a significance and an importance when we come into the presence of the Lord. Whether it be on Sunday morning when we gather together to worship, or whether it's when we get in our quiet time in our prayer closets and reach out to Him and, and send up prayers to heaven, or whatever it may be, when we enter into a place where we are acknowledging God for who He is, we need to enter in understanding that God can do things. That God can change things. That God can work in ways that are beyond our recognition and our understanding. Yet, we oftentimes come not praying that God would do anything. Not praying that God would change anything. Not praying that anything would be different. Not praying that anything would change. But that just saying this is just how things are. This is just how things are. But I want you to know that this man learned that day. And that God wants you to understand this day that He offers more than He expected and more than we expect. Amen. Let me shine some light behind the curtain of, of ministry, of my ministry specifically. There has been times in my life where maybe I went, come, went to speak or maybe it's to help with food pantry or, or different things, right? At different times and seasons of my life where I didn't, I went not expecting God to do much. I mean, I'm just going to be real with you. I mean, that's just the reality that it's just because I've had a bad week or it's been a rough day or, or just I've just struggled or whatever it is. Maybe there's been sin in my life during that week or, or maybe it's just been a busy week or whatever it is. And I'd enter into the place not expecting God to do much. I would allow my circumstances and situation affect what I viewed God as capable of doing. Once again, I allowed my circumstances and my situation to affect what I viewed God was capable of doing. And I was in the wrong. Right? I was not where I needed to be in that time, in that mindset. That was not what God desired for me to have. And and as we talked about, this man came expecting one thing, money and food, alms, right? That's what they were, alms for money and food for the poor. That's all he expected when he came to that place today. That's all he wanted, that's all he desired, was expecting that. But this man is the same place that I, I am at sometimes, right? He wasn't expecting God to do much. He didn't come to church. He didn't come to the temple. He didn't come to the place that day. He didn't wake up in the morning expect God, expecting God to do much of anything today because he had allowed his circumstances and his situation to affect what he thought God was capable of doing. 
Now, this is the thing that we battle. And this is the thing that Satan wants to try to convince you of, is that just because God hasn't means that he can't. That just because God hasn't done something, Satan will say that means that he can't do something, right? And have you ever felt that way? Have you ever got to the point where you prayed and you've asked and you've sought God or you've waited on God to move or you thought that it was about time for God to do something and He just hasn't yet and He hasn't done that yet and the enemy begins to whisper in your ear, maybe it's because He can't. Maybe it's because He's not God. Maybe it's because He's not big enough for this, good enough for this, strong enough for this, great enough to overcome this hurdle for you. Maybe He hasn't because He can't. And the enemy wants to try to convince. If we, if we don't tangibly say it with our words, get us to believe that in our heart. To believe the falseness that he is unable to do those things. That's what the enemy loves to con- convince us of. <clears throat> but the, and the sad reality is, is that we have allowed him to do that. There are many Christians in the world right over that have allowed their circumstances, their situations, what they've gone through, what they face, what they've had to struggle with, and the prayers that maybe haven't been answered yet or whatever it may be, to affect and color the way they view Christ. View His divinity. View His Godhood. Say, maybe, maybe I've missed something. Maybe I've not, maybe it's not everything that I've thought it would. But here's the thing. God might not say yes to that prayer. Now, he might not have answered it yet, but that doesn't mean that he can't. That doesn't mean that he can't. He might not have, an- he might never answer your prayer in the way that you hope or expect he-, he would, but that doesn't mean that he can't. Sometimes he just knows that's not the way that he's going to work in that situation. Just because it's no doesn't mean it's not no because I can't. It's because no because I know that you don't need that in this life. That you don't need that in this situation. And we have a hard time grasping that or wrestling with that. And we would rather accept or believe that God isn't able to than believe that God knows better than us. But God does know better than us. Amen. But He is capable of doing all things. Faith dependent on what we've seen God do isn't faith at all. It's not faith in Gilbert to say He can get up here and teach on Sunday mornings. I've seen Him do it multiple times. It's not faith to get in, the, get in a big old bus with Gilbert and think, oh, are we going to make it? He has done it. Delivered the package umpteen times. That's not faith. That's confidence. Faith is believing God can do the things that we think He can. Amen. That the world says He can't. That the enemy says He can't. The things that He's not answered yet. The things that He's not done yet. The things that we've not witnessed yet. That's faith. That's the faith that God desires for us to have. Amen. He says every man is given a measure of faith. We all have some inkling of faith, but the reality is that sometimes we stifle the faith because we base it off of what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we're going through, what we're facing in this moment. This man hadn't been healed, so he thought he couldn't be healed. But God said, Nuh-uh, son. That's not how it works. You might think things can't be fixed but it's because they haven't been fixed. That doesn't mean they can't. Right. You might think things can't get better because they haven't got better. That doesn't mean they can't. You might think they can't be saved because they've not been saved. That's not what Scripture tells us. You might think God can't do this in our world or can't help this family or can't make this change or can't do something better just because He hasn't. But that doesn't mean He can't. It doesn't mean He can't. This man had believed this lie that, well, if God was going to do it, He would have done it already. You ever thought that? Yeah. You ever heard somebody say that? God was going to do it, wouldn't if He had done it already? 
If God was going to change something, wouldn't He have changed it already? If God was going to save them, wouldn't He have saved them already? If God was going to work, wouldn't He have worked already? If God was going to show up, wouldn't He show up already? No. Just because He hasn't doesn't mean He can't. Just because He hasn't. I want you to remember that. I want you to go to sleep thinking about that. I want you to wake up thinking about that. I want you to drive your car and go to work and go to wherever you go and live your life thinking just because He hasn't doesn't mean He can't. Can we say that together? Doesn't, just because He hasn't doesn't mean He can't. We need to live by that, understand that, believe that as a core truth to who we are. Just be, this is the early church. They hadn't seen all this crazy stuff yet. The Roman power was the greatest authority of all earth and they're going to go against it. Nobody had conquered the Romans. Nobody had outdone the Romans. Nobody had betrayed their went against the Romans and what they wanted and come out and live through it. And here they're going to do it. And they said, just because it hasn't, doesn't mean it can. Just because a Roman emperor hasn't believed in Christ, doesn't mean that he can't. Just because Paul was killing all these people and hadn't converted to Christ, doesn't mean he, he can't. Just because Peter and all these haven't worked miracles themselves, doesn't mean they... They can't just because this one hasn't been healed and this one hasn't been changed and this hasn't worked out. Just because nobody's reached out to the Gentiles doesn't mean God can't. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't happen. And the enemy will strive to convince you of the opposite. To convince you to give up hope, to give up any expectation or desire to have God do anything, He'll get you to stop praying, get you to stop hoping, get you to stop putting your faith in God, get you to stop believing He can do anything, and you'll come to church on Sunday, and you'll come dry, and you won't have any desire to worship Him or desire to love Him because you are convinced within your heart that He can't do it anyway. And that's what hinders so much of us from connecting and fully living in the power of the Holy Spirit because we've just already convinced ourselves he can't. He can't. And the honest truth is, man, Gilbert, me and you, or any of us, any of the leaders, anything, you may ask us, hey, can God do this? And we'll, we'll say, yeah, we'll, I'll give the scriptural and the biblical answer. But sometimes in my heart, yeah. I struggle with, maybe he can't. I struggle within myself, man, what if he can't? Do that. What, what if I expect too much of him? What if I think too highly of him? What if I think that he's able to do more than he really is able to? But the reality is there is nothing our God cannot do. Amen. There is nothing our God cannot do. Amen. We wrestle with it. We'll struggle with it. Till the day we die, probably. But we cannot allow the enemy to gain a foothold in our life and get us to start thinking, maybe God can't. Start believing that God can't do something. Because when we think God can't, we stop asking us. Guess what? I'm not going to ask Gilbert for $10 million. He might have $10 million. I don't know. He's not told me if he has. But I'm not going to ask Gilbert for $10 million because I understand that he can't do that. If we get to the point where we believe God can't save people, we're not going to ask God to save anybody. That's right. If we get to the point where we believe God can't heal people, we're not going to ask Him to heal anybody. If we get to the point where we believe God can't change things and work in our situation and move in our midst or help our community or help the addicts get converted and come to the Lord, can't help people that are alcoholics give up those things, can't help people that are uh, abusive give up those things, people that are lying and people that are greedy. If we don't believe God can change that, guess what? We'll stop asking. That's right. We'll stop asking. 
And that's the sad reality is most of the time in a lot of churches in our world over, and no doubt in some of our own lives at times, we've got to the point where we think God can't, so we just don't ask. We just don't ask. We've convinced ourselves. The enemy has convinced us, has laid the trap, and we've fallen for it, hook, line, and sinker, that because God hasn't done it means that he can't do it. That is a lie that the enemy has sold us on. God had made it really clear to this fellow at the gate. Really clear. He said, I can do more than you expect, buddy. And, and I hope that this that message rings clear for you today. Right? The world may have hurt you. The enemy may have lied to you. Things may have not gone your way in life. You may have prayed prayers that haven't been answered. Or they were answered with a no. You may have sought God to move in a situation that He just hasn't yet. And you might think and have every reason that the world has convinced you and the enemy has convinced you to believe that God is alive. Don't let him convince you of that. Let God be true and every other man alive. God can. He can do that. How do we know that? Right? How do we know that? He came expecting alms. They gave him something more, right? We understand that it's still God. Read this scripture with me, okay? I think it's verse 6 through 8. It says, Then Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I, I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Understand. We're going to the book of Acts. This is the first... Example, to my understanding and knowledge from Scripture, of a miracle healing happening after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven. In the last chapter, we understand that great signs and wonders had occurred, but it doesn't specify what those were, right? Jesus turned water into wine. He, he did a bunch of other things, right? He did other things besides healing. He multiplied food. He did all these great things. So it doesn't specify that healings happen in chapter 2. This is the first recorded evidence of a healing happening once Jesus Christ had assembled or ascended. Why is that important? One, it helps the disciples understand that, hey, it wasn't just Jesus that had that power and authority. It wasn't just Jesus that had those capabilities. We still have the power of Jesus Christ within us through His Holy Spirit. And it was a message to the world over. As we begin to read these scriptures, that it does it that the, the Holy Ghost moving and working and changing people and helping people and doing the good work of God that didn't end once Jesus was dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. He is still God. It Amen. is still God. When God when things move, when things change, when things happen, when great things occur in our lives, it is the will and the power of God that does it. It's still God that does it. He's still in control. He's still in authority. He still has power. He still wants to work. He still wants to do things. He still wants His Spirit and His presence to be evident and manifest in the world around us. But the thing is, we go to the last point. We've got to the point where we just think it can't. That something's happened. Something's changed about God. That He's different than how He used to be. That, that He's not the same divine entity that we read in the Old Testament, that we read in the New Testament. That He's just not that way anymore. It's still God. Amen. It's still God. He might work in different ways in our modern society. It may look a little different in our modern culture. It may look a little different with a few hundred, a few more trillion people walking around on the earth. But it's still God that has created and molded each and every one of those individuals that walk upon this earth that desires to know them that desires to save their soul it's still God 
This isn't a sermon about if you believe hard enough or if you pray hard enough or long enough or whatever it is, that you'll get everything you want. That's not what we're talking about. What I am saying is that we need to be reminded that God is God and that God can do all things. Amen. There's nothing beyond His capability, nothing beyond His grasp, nothing that He will ha- He has a hard time with, that He struggles with, nothing that even makes Him break a sweat a little bit because He is creator and overseer and ruler of all things in heaven and earth. That's what Jesus Christ told him in, in Matthew 28, I believe it is. He said, I have been given power over heaven and in earth. He still has that power. Right. Amen. He still has that control. He still has that authority. When he says all, all means all. We'll say that, right? When we uh, that, uh, with John three sixteen and things like that, that all who come to repent, or who all come to repent, will be saved, and all those things. All means all. But when we talk about he has all power, he has all authority. We don't think that all means the same thing. All means all. Over your life, over my life, over New Canaan, over Elk Valley, over Campbell County, in Tennessee, in the United States, and the globe wide. Whatever else is out there, and Mars, and Venus, and Pluto, He's over all of that. He is still God. He is still in control. He still has power. He still has authority. He, it, we can still call out to them. He is still a. Re- we still have a reason to pray to Him and talk to Him because He is still God. It's still God that's going to change anything if anything changes. It's still God that's going to save the people that are going to be saved. It's still God that's going to heal those that need to be healed. It's still God that's going to help those that are addicted and lost out in the world to be converted. It's still God. And we look at these few verses, and we read it as a great miracle and as a great story. And I love these verses, right? Got to chapter 3 and started reading, I was like, oh man, I love this story. But as I just got stuck on the gate, the gate, why was he there? Why was he there? Why wasn't he in the temple when Jesus came around? Right? Why wasn't he seeking to be... You know, in, in the religious presence of the Lord, worshiping Him and, and reading the Scriptures and talking to Him. Why wasn't, why wasn't He at the pool of Bethesda? Where He knew that healings had occurred. It was evident. That wasn't some hidden secret. There were people that had flooded that place. Why wasn't He there? Why don't we talk to God like we used to? Why don't we pray to God like we used to? Why don't we ask Him for the things that we used to? Why don't we seek Him to convert and to change and to work and to move and to save that which is lost? Why don't we do that like we do like we used to? Because just like him, we get to the point where somewhere in our head it's like things have changed. Something's changed. And that God that did that, maybe he's not the same God that, that's taking care of my situation right now. Maybe something's changed. And he hasn't, maybe because he, he can't. He hasn't, maybe because he doesn't have the ability to do that anymore. He hasn't done that because maybe he's just not, he's incapable of doing that anymore. He hasn't, maybe because of this, maybe because of that. The reality is, we need to understand, God is God. He is divine. He is above anything that we can conceptualize or create in our own self. He is above us. He is God. And it still takes God, and we still have a reason to cry out to Him, and we still have a reason to talk to Him, and we still have a reason to pray to Him. It's still God that we need to go to. And we need to realize that He is capable of more than we expect. More than we expect. Expect. I hope you, this morning, I don't know 
how we each came in. I don't know what you faced this week. Some of you that helped with VBS, I do kind of know what you faced this week. But the rest of you, I don't know what you faced this week, right? I don't know what you went through. I don't know all the prayers that you prayed in your life. I don't know the prayers that you stopped praying. I don't know the things that you stopped hoping for. I don't know the things that you stopped asking for. I don't know the things that you stopped believing Him for. I don't know the things that you've just given up all dreams of having happen. I don't, I don't know. But just because it hasn't doesn't mean it can't. Just because it hasn't doesn't mean He can't do it. He is able. He is powerful. He is capable. And we as Christians, the world might not believe He's God. You might ask people in different seats of power and different authorities in different countries and different worlds and different religions, well, does Christ have power? Does God have power? And they may say, no, there is no God. We as Christians, if anybody ought to believe that God is capable of doing something, it is us. Amen. If anybody should be praying the bold prayers, it should be us. If anybody is seeking God to do the impossible in our lives and other people's lives, it should be us. Because if we're Christians, that, believe, that means that we believe God is God. And He is who He says He is. That Christ is Christ, the Son of God, and He is who He says He is. That the Holy Spirit is alive and living and powerful and moving in our midst. So if we if we say that He is God, if we say we follow, if we're following somebody that can't do everything, why are we following Him? Yeah. If we're serving a God that we don't believe can do everything, why are you serving Him? If you come to church to a place to worship somebody that you don't think can do everything, why are you worshiping Him? We're here ought to be here because we believe there is nothing beyond His power. Nothing beyond His control. Nothing beyond His authority. Nothing He can't do. Amen. Nothing He can't do. The reality is our actions, the way we come into His presence, the way we treat His presence in the world but through prayer and reading His Word says that more often than not we believe He can than we believe He can. But I hope you leave today knowing that He can. He still can. 